the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Tonight we're in the 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I will remind you that as we go through these chapters, what's going on there is Paul is answering questions that were written to him from the Corinthian fellowship. And these questions are regarding Christian behavior, and in this particular case, what really is being explored here is Christian liberty. So I'm going to start this with a rather random question. The patents won't have to answer it, although I already know their answer. How many of you have ever watched Star Trek? Oh, well, good. Clearly, I chose the right illustration. Now, y'all stay with me on this. I'm not a uh, rabid Star Trek fan like uh, (coughs) Courtney, but I have seen a few episodes. And if you watch Star Trek often enough, you'll hear them refer to something called the prime directive. The prime directive. Now, what that is, is everything that these space travelers do must conform to this prime directive, or it's a violation of their purpose. It is the main law. Now, to them, that means they're not supposed to interfere or change or in any way affect the natural development of the culture that they're coming in contact with which is something they do in almost every episode. So whenever a question comes up concerning how they're going to interact with a, an alien culture, the prime directive is quoted in that situation. And Christians have a prime directive. It is an impossible directive for us to keep. Humanly, it is impossible. It is a directive that concerns the new creation because only the new creation can keep it. Jesus brings it up in Matthew 22 in answer to a Pharisee's question. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, the Pharisee says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. 
the whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Now, Jesus in this verse is telling us that every obedience is met through love. Every obedience is met through love. Therefore, all Christian behavior is governed by this principle. It is the prime directive. Now, many of you know that I've done a good bit of marriage counseling. And in in marriage counseling, the couple will come before you and they have questions usually concerning the other one's behavior, but it's concerning behavior and how, how they interact and, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And the interesting thing is that the problems are many. They're vast and they're varied. They have all manner of situations and circumstances. Well, the Bible gives us some instruction concerning marriage, but there are a lot of things that are not specifically addressed in the Bible. You probably figured that out if you've been married. There are two directives that correspond with what I just call the prime directive that is given us. Two commandments. You know what they are concerning marriage? I'm sure you do. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Those are the two. Now, here's the thing. Just about every question that they are problem that they have you can find the answer in those two directives. Just about every problem they have. My point is that God did not deliver us from the law to put us under new laws. God put us under grace that we might live out of a relationship. The prime directive of love is what governs my relationship and therefore it governs my behavior. Every question can be qualified and answered in our relationship through that one directive. Love is not a behavior. Behavior is a manifestation of love. Love is the work and the person of God. 1 John 4.16 says, We have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep consistent faith The love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides continually in him. So if we abide in God, we abide in love. And that abiding is the source of love. And love is the premise for our behavior. Love is the source. Now, when I say love... Do not think I'm talking about something apart from God. Do not think that I'm talking about something that God does, although I am. Do not think that I'm principally talking about a behavior or an emotion. I'm talking about the very person of God, the very character of God, the very truth of God, the sum total of who God is, is in love. Now, God is love but not as the world would define love. The world defines love as an emotion that compels us to embrace every cause that comes along. But God is love, is balanced. His love is balanced with truth. In fact, his love is truth. So when God applies truth to our lives, he also applies justice, he also applies discipline, he also applies all of the things that would describe the character of God. Now, 
With that said, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And as I said, Paul's answering a question. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Paul says, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge concerning this. Knowledge alone makes people self-righteously arrogant. But love that unselfishly seeks the best for other builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. Now, it's easy to see the question that's involved here. The question is about the meat that has been offered up to idols. Should we eat it or should we avoid it? And you immediately ask yourself, well, how in the world can that be relevant? Well, stick with me. Paul begins by saying that we all have knowledge. And what he's saying is the same thing that you're thinking to yourself. We all have knowledge, meaning we know the truth concerning idols. We understand the truth concerning idols. We understand the truth that we're all living by grace. And the Corinthians were knowledgeable. And they took pride in their knowledge. In fact, Paul called them puffed up. It's interesting that love builds up and knowledge puffs up. Gives you the idea of you're inflated with air, waiting to burst. But he says that we all know the truth concerning idols. So he begins addressing the contrast between love and pride. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3. He says, If anyone imagines that he knows and understands anything of divine matters without love, he has not yet come to know as he ought. But if anyone loves God with all-filled reverence, obedience, and gratitude, he is known by him, capital H, as his very own and is greatly loved. So here's the issue. Do we know about God or do we know God? One is knowledge, the other is an intimate relationship. I do not have to have a relationship with God to know about him. A lot of people know about God, even the demons profess to. If I say that I know God when in truth I have not pursued or lived in a relationship or in the context of my relationship with him, then I do not know him as I ought. I have knowledge, but I do not have knowledge as I ought. In that case, God is not known by me the way God wants to be known. There's a way God wants to be known by you. And many of us think it suffices to have knowledge about him. Many of us think it suffices to have a congenial relationship with him. But God is passionate about you. And he wants such a relationship with you that you literally walk in the truth of his heart. He puts his desires in your heart, and you walk in those desires. He puts his appetites in you, and you pursue those appetites. You literally live out vicariously the life of Christ. That's what he's called you to. An intimate relationship that goes beyond knowing about. So Paul says, we all know about But not all of us know. If I love him through my relationship with him, if I am interacting and living out of his relationship, then I am living in the definition of obedience. Now, isn't that interesting? Obedience is not an understanding. Again, if we relegate knowing about God, then obedience becomes my knowledge of the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. And what you see being pursued here is exactly that. 
The Corinthians are pursuing the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. But God doesn't want us to live out of the do's and don'ts, does he? He wants us to live out of relationship with him that says, because my love is for him, I will act as he acts in this situation. I get my answers out of the relationship, not out of the rules. In intimate relationships, you don't ask for a rule book to govern your interaction. As you grow to know their heart, love sets the parameters of your behavior. Also, you will notice that in this verse, the love flows out of God, from God. God is the source. But when you enter into a relationship with someone, it may start out with some fundamental insights into what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. But as that relationship becomes intimate, there's a sense about you where you are going to act in what you believe is best for them, hopefully, And they are going to act in a way that is best for you. They're not going to do things purposely to offend you. And you're not going to do things purposely to offend them. And even though it might be your privilege to do so, you care more about the relationship than you care about your privilege. Now that's an intimate relationship. Otherwise, what we need to do when we meet each other is just to hand each other a little book of rules. It says, now, I like this, I don't like that. Make sure when you talk to me that you greet me this way. Make sure that when we go out to eat, we don't have this and we don't have that. We give them a list of rules, and for some of us, it would be, a, it would be several volumes. But that's not a relationship. And would you look forward to being with someone like that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't enjoy that at all. Love flows from God, and it is not inconsistent with his character. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. In this matter, then, of eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. It has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords... Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, who is the source of all things. And we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things that have been created. And we believers exist and have life and have been redeemed through him. So the issue here is not eating or not eating. That which has been offered up to idols. But it is a complicated issue. It is not as simple as it would seem to us for those people who were living in that culture. While we still have nations about us that practice worship of graven images, it's never really been a part of the culture here in America, though it's starting to come in in degrees. So we have a little trouble seeing the importance of the question of the Corinthians. The... uh, Corinthians lived in a Greek and Roman culture, and it was a polytheistic culture, which means they had gods, many gods. Now, think about this. These Corinthians were not just acquainted with this culture. They were immersed in it. Most of them had lived in it all their lives. So all of the main events of their lives surrounded the worship of these gods. 
If they went to a birthday, a God was involved. If they went out to eat, a God was involved. If they went to a sporting event, a God was involved. If they wanted to explore a business, a God was involved. If they went to the market, a God was involved. If they had, they had festivals. All the time where the families would gather, where friends would gather, where they would all meet. And a God was involved, or many gods were involved. You can see how this goes on and on and on. So, you know, idol worship and the practice of recognizing multiple gods was not a casual thing. It was literally ingrained in their lives. Some of them were named after these gods. So they couldn't just suddenly extricate any remembrance of worshiping gods from their from their lives. They couldn't just suddenly step away and not have anything to do with this stuff. It was literally everywhere they went. Now suppose suddenly you're in this situation and now you get you get a, a knock on the door and an invitation to a birthday party and you know that at that birthday party they will celebrate several different gods. What about the festival that you and your family have been going to for, for since you were born? You have been involved in this and it was something you all looked forward to together, i.e. Christmas. It was a big deal for y'all. And you know that this festival is all about this God. And what if the marketplace you shopped in was so tied in to the temples that most of the wares that were sold had something to do with the worship of God. That includes the harvest, which was literally literally celebrated as a worship ceremony. That includes the planting time. It includes all the vegetables and the meats especially, because meats were offered as sacrifices to these pagan gods. So here's the question. Should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to pagan gods? Well, you can see where they might have a little trouble with that. They might have a little difficulty separating themselves from the idea of that. As one theologian explained, there were three parts to the offering of meat to pagan gods. The meat was divided in three ways. One part was consumed in the fire as an offering The second part was given to the priest for consumption. And then whatever was left over was given to the local butcher to sell in the market. And this was sold at a discount. So you could get a really good price, you know, on uh, all manner of cuts of meat that were good to get. You didn't have to pay a premium for it. Some families had always bought their meat at this market. They have to change their whole pattern. They have to change the way they did business. Again, this was a tough question. Many of these people, the Corinthians, had been delivered from a dark and painful past and wanted to run away from every remembrance of idolatry. And to consume something that had been in a pagan temple as an offering was unthinkable to them. These pagan gods had had been real to them. These gods were alive in their minds, in their imaginations, in their emotions. They weren't just stumps out there. They saw them as real deities. They'd been a part of their prayers and their worship. These were the only gods they'd ever known. So you can't think of them just passively saying, oh yeah, I'm going to give that up. Like you'd give up, you know, macrame or something. It it wasn't that 
wasn't that casual. It wasn't that easy. They could give up the worship of these gods, but the influence that that pagan worship had to them and their family, the memories, the whole culture, how they were brought up, every festival, every memory they had was wrapped around this. Another problem they had was that they believed that the spirit of the god could enter a human body through the food. So how about trying that one on if you're a newly saved Christian, huh? That could be a little bit difficult as well. So Paul addresses the many gods and the lords of their culture. And he says to them that they're nothing. They're nothing. You have only one God. And this one God is all-inclusive. Where they had a God for this and a God for that and a God for something else, this God is literally the source. He is the one God through which everything exists, through which everything was created. The one God. There's no realm where these little gods can claim any sovereignty. So for you, Christian, you are in him. You are in Christ Jesus. You exist in him. Outside of him, you do not exist. Your lives are holy, with a W, holy his. So Paul is agreeing with those who are arguing that since idols are nothing, we are free to eat the meat. Those who felt empowered by their knowledge and their Christian liberty were pushing forward on these things and saying, wise up and be free like us. Now I want you to see the difference in attitude. Clearly, the ones that said go forward, the idols don't mean anything, they, at least on the surface, show a greater liberty, don't they? They show a greater maturity because they have accepted and literally embraced the truth that these idols are nothing, so therefore the meat is acceptable. But you wonder what they're more motivated by, Christian liberty or their desire for that meat. Because they're willing to push aside a brother. They're willing to set his, his sensitivities aside to do what they want to do. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 7 and 8 says, However, Paul's saying, however, not all believers have this knowledge, but some being accustomed through their lives to thinking of the idol until now as real and living, still eat food as if it were sacrificed to idols. And because their conscience is weak, it is defiled, guilty, ashamed. Now food will not condemn us to God, nor bring us close to him. We are no worse off if we do not eat, nor are we better off if we do eat. In other words, he starts with however. In other words, stop and consider this before you go forward to get that meat. Okay? Just stop for a minute and consider this. There are those who are still dealing with the baggage of the past. There are those with tender conscience. They're still immature in this. Now, here's, here's the way it works, guys. We're a family. We see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as a pastor, I cannot account for the other families, and we're all part of one big one, but this one I know. And as a family, we look at each other with eyes of the Father, with eyes of love. Now, I have grandchildren, and, you know, one thing I've learned is that you have to protect them. You have to protect them from their environment and even from themselves. You have to understand that they are children and they are weak. 
They are weak and they will hurt themselves or they will be hurt if you don't watch over them. Many of you, or at least some of you back there, have small children. And there are things that you have to do to make sure that they're safe and protected. Now, you don't consider that, you don't look at your children with contempt and say, look at how you're restricting my freedom, do you? Look how you're, you're bunching up my liberty here. I mean, I'd like to have an open fire here and I can't do it because you're liable to wander into it. Why don't you wise up and stay away from the fire, right? Wise up and don't touch the electrical pad. Wise up and, you know, let, and let me put my crystal out where I want to. Do we take that attitude with children? No. Now, we, we can write this off because they're cute and they're our kids and we love them and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is that in the family of God, some are weaker than others in certain areas. You know what I found? Is I found that I have weaknesses And I'm grateful for those weaknesses because it's in those weaknesses I recognize the strength of God. But my weaknesses and my perceptions of my weaknesses are not the same as yours, even if they're the exact same circumstance. They're not the same. I've experienced them with a whole different grid of emotions. I've experienced them with a whole different capacity. I've experienced them with a whole different outlook than you have. So they are unique to me. But the body of Christ is insulating. It is healing. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.